you know, Mary and I, with these mission trips, we're, we've talked about how we want to take our boys on one as soon as possible, um, either to Peru, to Esperanza de Ana, or even to Guatemala, or who knows what God's will might be, but we want our boys at such a young age to see that, uh, you know, people live in some really difficult circumstances, and we are called as God's people to minister to people that are in those circumstances, and also for them to see. I remember when Mary and I went to Cambodia, and I think it was, I don't know if one of them said it, but you do see just how big God is. You know, he's not just the God of America. Like, he is working and moving, and you're hearing, you know, these people singing uh, praise and worship songs in their native language, and it's just, it's so remarkable. And that's what heaven's going to be, right? Like, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, you know, slave or, you know, free man. There's, you know... We're all together as one big family. I'm so thankful for that. I want them to have that experience. So, welcome back to to our sermon series on Daniel. Uh, I'm just I just uh, really enjoy going through this book. I hope you're enjoying it as well. Daniel is just such an awesome guy because he has such an awesome God that he was tapping into that was just empowering him to do amazing things in really difficult circumstances. And we've, we've been talking about it, right? Daniel, he was captive in this foreign land, serving a, a really pagan and wicked king and empire. And yet he was unwavering in his commitment to the one true God of the world, uh, Yahweh. And you know, he was able to faithfully love God with all his heart, mind, and soul, but he was also able to be salt and light and lead in a godly way in his area of, of work as he was a leader in the government there. And he just had such great influence on individuals, but also the systems that were in that government, and we talked about last time I taught last Sunday, you know, that's where evil manifests itself, not only at an individual level, but also at a systemic level, and God just really used, used Daniel to combat uh, some of that. In previous sermons, you know, I've mentioned that one very important habit of Daniel's that enabled him to be faithful in a faithless generation was his habit of prayer, and you know, he, sp- he spent a lot of time on his knees. He, he habitually prayed three times a day. And as we turn to Daniel 9 this morning, it's no surprise that we once again find Daniel in prayer mode. So we're going to look at Daniel's prayer in chapter 9. And as always, we'll consider, all right, what does this mean for us today? What would we do well to implement into our own lives in terms of what, as we look at what Daniel did, what can we take from his life and incorporate into ours? So let me pray, and then we'll read today's passage, and then we'll look at those takeaways. Lord, we are grateful for your word. We are so grateful that you have given it to us, and that we can learn from you, and that your word speaks to us today. Something that was written hundreds of years ago through your spirit, it's still alive and active, and it has the power to just renew our minds so that we live in ways that are pleasing to you, that are in accordance with your will. And so we thank you for it, Lord. I pray that this 
time as we look at Daniel 9 would just not be us going through the motions, that we would be engaged, that we would be asking as uh, we look at this passage, Lord, what are you trying to say to me? And what am I going to do about it? Lord, you're always looking to speak to us. You're always looking to disciple us further. Um, And sometimes we miss it because we're not attentive. I pray that we would be this morning. May the Spirit open our heart and open our minds to to receive what it is that you want to give to us this morning. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. All right, Daniel 9. I'm going to read verses 1 through 19. And then uh, in two weeks, when I'm back, we'll, we'll look at the rest of Daniel 9. So let me read these verses to you. As always, I encourage you to really tune in here. In the first year of Darius, the son of Assuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books The number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments, we have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you. But to us, shame of face, as it is this day. To the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those near and those far off, and all the countries to which you have driven them, because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. O Lord, to us belongs shame of face, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness Though we have rebelled against him, we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. And he has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us by bringing upon us a great disaster. For, the, for under the whole heaven, such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name, as it is this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. 
O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. Because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those around us. Now, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications. And for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolations in the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. All right, so here's what we're focusing on today. Retreat with God brings revelation. Scripture informed Daniel's prayers. Daniel prayed for God's people and God's glory. God's greatness and grace caused Daniel to pray boldly and confidently. Retreat with God brings revelation. Scripture informed Daniel's prayers. Daniel prayed for God's people and God's glory. God's greatness and grace caused Daniel to pray boldly and confidently. Let's look at these in turn, starting with retreat with God brings revelation. So in our passage today, we find Daniel, what is he doing? He is searching and he's studying and he's wrestling with God's word so that he can submit his life to God's word. And he's studying God's word through the prophet Jeremiah. By the word, who says, I, Daniel, understood by the books, the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. You know, Daniel knew God's word. He chewed on it. He studied it. He wrestled with it. Why? Because he wanted to know God's heart and will. He wanted to see things as God saw them so that he could then do the right things at the right time in the right way. You know, spending time alone with God often brings revelation. And it brought revelation for Daniel um, on this day when he was praying in Daniel chapter 9. You know, I think we can understand this even from our closest relationships. I know Mary and I, we so appreciate, the, the greatest thing that anybody ever does for us is they take our kids for an evening. I mean, give me that. that that's what we enjoy. We enjoy time together. And I notice that when we don't have that time regularly, there's a disconnect, right? We lose something. We're not in tune with each other's em current emotions and current struggles and current fears and, and all of that. And, but when we have these un uninterrupted times of retreat with one another, we get back on the, the same page. You see, in a similar way, retreat with God brings revelation from God. And so I ask you this morning, are you retreating with God on a regular basis to, to hear God's word, to study God's word, so that your mind can be transformed and renewed? If you don't have a daily time of retreat with God, start one today. If you already have a daily time when you're, you're retreating with God, I, I encourage you, if it's, say it's 
15 minutes a day. Um, I encourage you every two weeks have an extended time of a retreat with God. So why, don't, why not spend an hour with God once every two weeks in addition to that 15 minutes a day? You know, I think devotional helps such as the daily bread are great, and I, I'm a, I like those. You know, they're short and sweet, and they're manageable. But if we're only having a couple pieces of bread to nourish our souls a day, pretty soon our souls are going to be malnourished. And so you've got to go beyond just these 10-minute quick devotions. You've got to have time where it's extended retreat, where you're really digging in, and you're not just having a little morsel of the word. You're feasting on a great meal of God's word. And so I encourage you uh, to do that. And you know what? I, I was thinking as I was thinking about Retreat Brings Revelation, and we see it all through the pages of Scripture. I mean, I think of Jesus before he picked the disciples. He spent all night in retreat praying, and the Father revealed to him who those disciples needed to be. But I was thinking if we just spent like half the time that we spent on our bodies keeping them healthy, most of us, if we spent that on nourishing our souls through God's word, most of us would be, or a lot of us would be biblical scholars, right? Our minds would be renewed. We would no longer be conformed to this world. We would be able to discern what is the will of God, his holy and pleasing will, and what is perfect and acceptable, you know, Hebrews 4.12 tells us, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Do you hear what this verse is saying? This verse is saying this. When you read God's word, God's word reads you. It reads you. It is is able to reveal to us, as we engage with it through the Spirit, our thoughts, our intentions, our motives, and feelings, and all of that. And it's able to reveal to us when those things are out of whack with God in his way. And that is why Timothy tells us, this is something we quote a lot, because obviously it's so important and so true. Second Timothy three sixteen and 17, all of Scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Now check out verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Look, if you're not studying God's word, if you're not engaging with it, if you're not going beyond just these brief 10-minute times of devotion in a day, you're not going to be complete. It's not. You're not going to be equipped for the good work that God has created you to engage in for, for his purposes. Daniel was complete, and he was able to accomplish God's mission for him because he was such a man that would retreat with God to receive God's revelation. And you know what? We have no excuse living in 2018 because there are more Bible study resources than ever in the history of the world. There are so many tools to help us engage with Scripture and understand it. There are so many tools to help us you know, structure times of retreat with God, we have no excuse. 
Number two, so retreats with God often brings revelation. Number two, scripture informed Daniel's prayers. I think many people struggle to pray because they don't know praying, pray for. Perhaps you've been in this situation. It's like, really? How do I even go about praying? What do, what do I pray for? And then when difficulty strikes and the emotions and, and the feelings are just off the charts, it's really hard to even make sense of what is happening to you, let alone have words to pray. And I think some people struggle with boredom in their prayer life because they pray the same things over and over and over in the same exact ways. So to combat these issues, I think we can take a page out of Daniel's uh, way of praying, his book of, of how to pray. He prayed scripture. He play, prayed the, the scriptures informed in his prayer his prayer. So let me explain this to you. So due to Daniel's study of Jeremiah, he knew that the reason that his people were captive in Babylon was because they had broken the covenant that they had made with God. And even though God, he tried to warn Daniel's people, the Israelites, through his prophets that, hey, you're on the wrong path, you're on the path to destruction. And even though God tried many times to get them off this path of destruction, they persisted, the Israelites persisted in their rebellion. And the result was now the destruction of Jerusalem and the exile of God's people to Babylon. This is what Daniel was experiencing. Daniel knew this because he studied scripture. Check out what Daniel says about his people in Daniel 9, 5 through 7. We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. He goes on, right? Then he go, you know, if you go down to verse 11, Yes, all Israel has, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against God. Now, did Daniel think that God was being unfair in punishing the Israelites for their rebellion, which was part of their punishment was exile to Babylon? No. Daniel repeatedly emphasizes God's goodness in this passage, doesn't he? And his fairness in dealing with his people. In verse 4 he says, And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. And then verse 14, For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. And so God had been faithful. He did what he said he was going to do. If the people rejected him and his law, his word did not return to him void. But here's the thing. So Daniel knew exactly why he was exiled in Babylon with his people. But he also knew Jeremiah 25, 11, and 12, and Jeremiah 20, 10 that, that says... And it, it contains God's promise that there was going to be a day when the desolation of Jerusalem and the exile of the people 
to Babylon was going to be over, and it would be in 70 years. In 70 years, God would judge the Babylonians and, uh, Babylonians and, and bring his people back home. And Daniel believed, hey, God was, promise, or God was faithful to keep his promise of punishment if we rebelled against him. Surely God is going to be then faithful to restore us to our land because he's promised to do that. And that's precisely what Daniel was praying for in verses 16 through 19. I say all this to make the point, which is the second point, that Daniel was allowing the scripture to inform how he was praying. Check out what he prays in verses 16 through 19. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those around us. Now, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications. And for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. Oh, my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations. And he goes on, and right? So, like Daniel, we would do well to allow God's word to inform our prayers. Um, I, I and do a good who I've quoted before during the sermon series in his commentary on Daniel, he gives examples of how we can pray for the things that God has clearly promised. This is what he says. God has promised to complete the good work he began in us. Philippians 1.6, right? So thus, in the midst of trials, I can pray that God will use these trials to further his work in my heart and life, humbling me and breaking my pride, showing me how desperately I need him in my weakness and sinfulness. God has promised to give me peace that transcends the peace that this world gives. It's John 14, 27. As a result, in my confusion and inner turmoil, I can ask him to give me the peace that he alone can bestow. The Lord has promised to be my shepherd and to walk through the valley of the shadow of death with me. Psalm 23 tells us that. Therefore, I can pray for the night. He will watch over my soul and hold my hand in the blackest hour of the night. God has promised to bring in a new heaven and a new earth where he will wipe away the tears from every eye, Revelation 21. For that reason, I can pray for the day to come swiftly when the present world will dissolve and be replaced by that ultimate place of refuge and joy. Daniel prayed that God would do what he had promised, and he prayed, I love this, and he prayed with confidence because he was praying for what God had promised. He was praying with confidence because he was praying for what God has promised. And God always keeps his promises. Always. You know, for our kids, we can pray Luke 2, Luke 2.52 into their lives. That Jesus will incre- allow them to increase in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. For our coworker, we can pray Philippians 1, 9 through 11. In this I pray that your love may, insert your coworker's name there, 
may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. For your Christian neighbor, you can pray First Timothy 2, 3, and 4 into their lives. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of our God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. I meant your non-Christian neighbor. Like, pray. Like, Lord, I know that you desire all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. So please enable so-and-so, whoever your non-Christian neighbor is, to come to this truth. And may they see your need or their need for salvation. May they see their need they have uh, for a Savior. Help them to discover this. And so as we pray God's promises into our own lives, as we pray God's promises into other people's lives, we can be, we can be grateful that God always answers his uh, and always keeps his promises. Point number two. So with retreat, with God's word brings, often brings revelation. Number two, we should allow scripture to inform our prayers. God's promises to inform our prayers. Number three, Daniel prayed for God's people and God's glory. No doubt Daniel prayed for himself. I'm, I'm sure he prayed a lot for himself, but his prayers were not simply focused on himself. He had other, other centered prayers included in his prayer life, and he had prayer um, concerned with God's, God's glory. So we see in Daniel 9 him praying intensely for God's people, praying that that they would acknowledge their sin and that they would be forgiven by God, that God would forgive them, that God would restore them to their homeland, that God would end their exile in Babylon. We see Daniel really concerned for his people. He, was, he, he engaged in intercessory prayer. Daniel also prayed for God's glory, that God's character, his attributes, his ways would be known throughout the world and displayed uh, to the people of the world. And that's another main reason why Daniel was praying for the restoration of Jerusalem and his people back to their homeland. It wasn't just for his own sake or for even his people's sake. It was for God's sake. He wanted people to know of God's greatness, his mercy, his grace, his faithfulness. And in Daniel's mind, how would people know about the glory of God if God's people in his city, Jerusalem, and his temple that was in Jerusalem, all, you know, his people were exiled in the temple and his city lay in ruins. How, how, how would people know that God is this great amazing God. And so you see Daniel praying in verse 19, O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. You see, Daniel just had such a concern that God would be thought of the right way by the watching world. That people would see his glory. And so 
I challenge you to incorporate intercessory prayer into your prayers. Be praying specifically for, for the people in your life, especially God's people. And then I encourage you to really be centered in praying for God's glory, that people would see it so that they just fall in love with this amazing God. Fourthly, lastly, God's greatness and grace caused Daniel to pray boldly and confidently. Daniel says in verse 4 that, hey, God's great and awesome. Right? That's what he says. He knew that it was God's greatness that led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, right? He mentions that in our in our passage. He knew that it was God's greatness that did that. He also knew that it was God's greatness that led Babylon to be able to rise up and be the world's superpower and to capture God's people. Right? So God was behind that. Daniel knew God's awesome power, his greatness that was really in control of all things everywhere. And he knew that because God was so great that God was unstoppable and that he does all that he pleases. And so in verse 35, Daniel says this back in chapter 4, not this passage, but back in chapter 4 of Daniel. Daniel said this about God, all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? You know, some people think that God's sovereignty, his control of all things everywhere is a reason not to pray. You know, if God's just going to do what he's going to do, why, why pray? For Daniel, God's sovereignty was a great motivation to pray. And if you think about it, it makes sense. I think God's sovereignty should motivate us as well. You know, if God was not all-powerful in control of all things everywhere, why would we even pray to him? And if we did pray to him, and he wasn't sovereign, then how could you pray boldly and confidently believing that God, I mean, he may or may not have the power to help you, right? But because he is great, because he is sovereign, because he is all-powerful, all-knowing, we, ha- we can pray with boldness and confidence. You know why else it's important that we pray, even though God is sovereign? Is because God has decided to accomplish certain ends by through the means of our prayers. So there are certain things that God wants to do that will only come about when we pray. Daniel knew that. Daniel knew that God said through Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29, 12. Then when you call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. So God was going to listen to them when they finally went to God and prayed to God. And then Jeremiah 29, 14 says, I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. Daniel knew that God had decided to accomplish Israel's restoration 
through the prayers of God's people. And therefore, he was responsible to pray. Our prayers are the means by which God has decided to accomplish certain ends. You have a responsibility to pray. And you know what? If we are thinking about God's greatness, we're going to be encouraged to pray, aren't we? We should be praying big prayers that God would transform our city with the gospel. We should be uh, praying that God's kingdom would come in our wayward child who seems beyond redemption. We should be praying that this very church, this small little church in Maslin, Ohio, would make tons of disciple-making disciples. But here's the thing, if we focus on God's greatness alone, it won't be long before we start to despair in prayer. Because like Daniel, it won't be long before we realize just how unholy we are, how broken we are, how we don't measure up to God. We're going to become so aware of our sin, and we're going to become so aware of the sin of God's people that we interact with. We're going to become so aware that we don't delight in keeping God's laws. And that when we do pray, if we pray at all, our prayers are often self-centered instead of being others-centered and God-centered too. And that's why we can't just remember God's greatness. We also have to remember God's grace. That's what Daniel did. In this chapter, we see Daniel just throwing himself and throwing God's people on God's mercy and grace. In verse 9, he says, to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. And then in verses 18 through 19, oh my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolations in the city which is called by your name. I love this line. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, But because of your great mercies, O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive, O Lord, listen and act. You know, if God was only a God of greatness, holiness, and power, there would be no need for the cross. Because his holiness would just destroy us. But if God were only a God of grace, there would be no need for the cross either. If God just simply turned a blind eye to evil, really didn't care if we sinned or if we disobeyed his laws and his precepts, then there would have been no need for Jesus to die a brutal death. But because God is both great and holy and extremely gracious, we have the cross. God's greatness and his holiness demand that our sins be paid for. And his grace demands that we don't pay it. You see, the crucifixion of Christ allowed God to punish our sin without punishing us. It allowed God to be both holy and gracious. You see, it's God's greatness, his holiness, and power that allow us to boldly and confidently approach him in prayer, knowing that he graceful to meet our request in accordance with his will. He has the power to do it, but it's God's grace that allows us to boldly and confidently approach him in prayer, knowing that if we mess up in life, that if we struggle to pray, that if we ask for the wrong things, if our prayers get too self-centered, God will forgive us. We need both 
God's power, his greatness, and his grace to approach him boldly and confidently in prayer. And so I encourage you with the four things that I spoke of today. Retreat with God to bring revelation into your life. Allow scriptures to inform your prayers. Pray the scriptures. Intercede in prayer for God's people and for God's glory. And pray boldly and confidently. Because our God is great and he is gracious. Let's pray. Lord, you are so amazing. You are. You are so great. You are so powerful. Ah, you're so holy, so completely pure, spotless, undefiled, completely free of sin. And Lord, you are you are so gracious to us. So gracious that you sent your son to to die for us so that you could punish sin without punishing us. Lord, we we praise you for that. And Lord, I pray here this morning that if there's a person in this room that has not surrendered themselves to you, the great and gracious God, that they would today, that they wouldn't delay. For until they do so, they're only under your greatness and holiness in your wrath that burns against them for their sin. And we want them to be removed from that, Lord. We want them to experience your grace, experience Jesus' atoning death for them that blots out all their sin. Lord, we know that that comes to us through repentance and faith. And so we pray today that if somebody needs to take that step of acknowledging their sin before you and asking you to come in into their life and forgive them and to teach them how to follow you with their life, we pray that that would be their prayer today. Lord, help us to do a better job in our prayer life. May we incorporate the things that Daniel did in his so that we may pray like Daniel. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.